Welcome to this podcast on introduction to the Old Testament, and we're calling this series, Where Does This Peace Fit? And I mentioned last week, last time, that studying the Bible is very much like putting together a jigsaw puzzle, and you have this piece, and you're looking at it, and you're trying to figure out where it fits in the big picture. And we last week looked at all the different pieces of, of the Old Testament, how that fits together, and so I encourage you to go back to that podcast and look at that. But today I want to look in this podcast at a very fundamental, foundational piece that if we get this piece in that puzzle right, everything's going to fit together. It's a central part of all scripture, and I think it will be very helpful when you're trying to look at all the Old Testament to see, well, how does this all fit together? You know, the Apostle John makes a statement in chapter 20 of his gospel in verse 30 and 31. And he says there, and many other things Jesus did that aren't written in the book, but I've written this that you might have life, that you might believe in him and have life in his name. When you look at the Old Testament that spans so many centuries with so much contained in it with so many different characters and historical events, uh, where do you begin? Is there somewhere or something that I can take hold of, that piece of the puzzle that will that will be foundational, that will point my way all the way through the Old Testament? And I say yes. I believe it starts with faith. Faith that the Word of God is from God. The Word of God is revealed from God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that to have that faith that God is the creator of everything. Now to prepare for this lesson, I want you to look at the notes on the website that go along with this lesson. And I also want you to read three sections of scriptures before you go any further into the lesson. I think it would help you a whole lot. And I know some of you will just go straight through and try to do that later. But I really believe the best form of study here would be for you to download the notes, look at them, familiarize yourself with the topics I'm going to cover, and then read these three scriptures first. I want you to read Psalm 19, 1 through 14, Genesis, the very first chapter, and then the entire chapter of Isaiah 40. If you would read those three scriptures first, I think it will really prepare you for this topic that we're looking at today. Once you read them, please return to this recording as I speak about the importance of having faith in the Word of God and faith that God is the creator of everything. So pause it, read it, pray about it, and return back to this podcast. Well, welcome back if you paused to read, and if you didn't, we're starting anyway, right? So I'm going to start with Psalm 19. If I started with Genesis and on, I would eventually come to what I think are the strongest statements about Scripture maybe in the Bible but at least in the Old Testament. We look at what the New Testament says about itself, and you know all the scriptures that it says about that. But if I were to go to the Old Testament, I would start with these three scriptures to set the foundation, to make the central piece fit together, and I, I would start with Psalm 19. Before I even read Genesis and all that, I would go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, 1 through 6, makes it clear that the eternal God, creator God, reveals himself in the constellations, in the constellations, and what is in the heavens, what is in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. 
Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. Yet they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard in them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now this is what you call a general revelation from God. Anyone who looks into the night sky and sees the wonders of the heaven, and if nothing else is around, all you hear is silence, but what you're seeing is a loud voice speaking to you about the eternal God created all of this. It declares his glory. Stay in Psalm 19. We'll return in just a moment and look at what Paul in Romans 1 says, starting verse 19. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that we are without excuse. That's how Paul views Psalm 19. We're without an excuse. Because if you honestly look up with an honest, pure heart and you see what's in front of you there, it speaks volumes about who God is. Now, Psalm 19, 7 through 14, gives us another way that God reveals himself. Starting in verse 7, the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statues of the law of the Lord are trustworthy, making it wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servants warned, in keeping them there is great reward. In light of God's revelation of himself in the heavens and through his perfect word, no wonder then the psalmist concludes in verse 14 of this psalm, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, once again, back to Paul, but this time in 2 Timothy 3.16. <clears throat> How Paul describes the inspired God-breathed God word of God directly ties into Psalm 19, 7 through 14. All scriptures God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now see how that parallels in Psalm 19. It's the law that refreshes the soul. It's the precepts of the Lord that gives joy to your heart. It's the commands of the Lord that gives light to your eyes. There is great reward in keeping the word of God, and you're warned if you don't keep it. Faith in God is developed through the word of God. God reveals himself to us and his will for us through his revealed word. Every word, every event, every counsel is there for a reason. There is great reward here and now and eternity for those who follow the word of God. It's why Moses tells the people about the law of God 
that this law that God has given them is not just a bunch of empty ritual words, but they are words that contain life, success, and prosperity. Joshua, who's the next leader following Moses, is told by God that he will be successful as a leader if he will meditate day and night on the word of God. At the end of King David's reign and his son Solomon is about to become king, David gives this as advice to Solomon. He says, if you want to be a great, successful king, you must meditate on the word of God day and night. When Jesus talks about what is recorded in the first five books of the Old Testament, what's called the Torah or the Law of Moses or the Pentateuch, he calls them scriptures, John 5, 39, that were written by Moses. And then Jesus says those words of prophecy in those scriptures revealed to Moses by God are words that are pointing to Jesus Christ himself. And so all the way through the prophets, the gospels, the letters, and through Revelation, the word of God is always without exception the revealed word of God to us. When Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 17, he said, I pray that they will stay in your word because your word is truth. So as we begin the Old Testament study together, what's the central piece that fits this all together? We begin that God revealed himself to us. This word of God that you're studying, that you want to know more about, is God revealing himself to you. Take that by faith. You see it in the creation of the world when you look into the skies, into the heavens, and what's been created, and when you look into his word. Of course, throughout the Old Testament, he will point out that he is sending the Messiah to the world to save us from our sins. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. The very first words of the Old Testament from Genesis 1 begins with a revelation and requires faith on our part that the word of God here is the truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Someone one time taught me this statement. The creator created creation. Write that down. The creator created creation. All three of those words are essential in that sentence. The creator created creation. And the order of the words in that sentence are important. The creator created creation. Change the order or any word and you have an error. If you leave the creator out, you have error. If you make the object, the creation, the subject, you have error. The creator created creation. And that is made clear in God's revelation to us in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No human existed when God the Creator at the beginning created everything. But what it tells you also that God is so personally involved with us. The Creator just didn't create creation, but He's sovereign and powerful and a personal God over all of His creation. And as the Bible unfolds, God is the only God who is Creator, is the God of grace and forgiveness. Now, if God didn't reveal this, we wouldn't know the truth about how all this came to be into existence. But not only how we got here, but why we are here, why we even exist. And God tells us that as well throughout his scriptures. 
in the words of Hebrews 11, verse 3. Here it is. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. The creator created creation. And that is fundamental to faith. You cannot get past the very first verse of the Bible without facing that truth and putting your faith in that knowledge. John declares in his gospel that through Jesus all things came into being through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And Paul's going to confess in Colossians 1 that in him all things were made and in him all things hold together. We cannot ignore creation and expect to have a deep faith in God. To have the central piece of all the Bible to fit, you have to have faith in the creator who created the creation and in the word of God of the creator that is truth. The Lord is the sole source and cause of the things that are seen and unseen. He is the sole source and the sole cause. And this God is not distant and removed like we're some sort of mechanism wound up and he leaves it to our own devices. It's not mechanical. God is personally and directly involved. The creator created the creation. And that's important. But it's also important to see he's not the same as his creation, right? He's not a part of it. As you read the Old Testament, be aware that the biblical evidence would be that God, though actively and personally involved with creation, is not dependent upon creation, nor is he the same as creation. There's only one God operating, operating here. And this separates this Genesis account from virtually all other ancient Near Eastern cultures of the time and their view of who God is. All of those during this time in which Moses was writing this worshiped multiple gods and believed that multiple gods were involved in creation. And as a polytheist, believing in many gods, that's what they believed. They didn't believe in a one true God. But here is one God acting unaided by other deities, creating the heavens and the earth. And God says, look up and see it. <laughs> the voice will be loud enough to speak to you that this was done by one true God. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The creator created creation. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah 40. And I can't cover all the verses here, but let me use some highlights. How does verse 1 start? It starts with God speaking to his people and saying, comfort, comfort my people. Well, what's happening? Well, chapters 36 through 39, spell it out. The Assyrians, the devastating empire, had gone to that area and virtually decimated every city in Judah. Israel's being destroyed. They need comfort. And the second reason they need comfort was that God had told Isaiah at the end of 39, chapter 39, that the long-term Babylon would come and capture Jerusalem and Judah. So Babylon's coming next. There's coming a time when the same thing will happen. Only Jerusalem this time will fall, not just Israel. So he says, comfort my people. Tell them short-term, long-term, that their sins are forgiven. Here's what God says in verse 8. People are like grass. 
The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God's what endures forever. Do you hear that? We have our time here on our stage of, of life, don't we? It's, it's short, it's temporary. But notice, God's word endures forever. As each person gets on the stage and exits according to Shakespeare, God's still there. As each nation will rise and fall throughout history, God's still there. And so in verse 11, it says about God that he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. There he's talking about his people, Israel. God's the great shepherd who carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them. Then look in verse 12 through 13. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as a counselor? In verse 15 through 17, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Before him all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. So here's the point. When the people needed comfort and hope, God says, I want you to look to this fact. The creator created creation. While people fade and wither like the grass and the flowers, my word endures forever. I'm the one who holds this whole thing together. And the nations that you think are so powerful that you need to bow down to, they're, they're just a drop of water in my bucket. I got this is what he's saying. When everything seems doom and gloom and hopeless, this mighty Assyrian empire is doomed to the ashes of history, but as your God, I want you to know, I am forever. And all those gods that seem so important now that the Assyrians worship, all those war gods, you won't even remember their names down the road. Those Assyrian war gods, the coming Babylonian war gods, with their idols that seem more powerful than the God of Israel at the moment and in the coming future, there is only one God, the creator created creation, and he is fully, fully in control. So that's why it says in verse 18, with whom will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? See the people? Do you see your options? <clears throat> Excuse me. Should we worship the God of the scriptures? Or should we worship the gods of the Assyrians since the Assyrians are so powerful? Should we worship the gods of Egypt since Egypt has not been conquered by the Assyrians? Should we worship the gods of the Babylonians? After all, they seem to be the winners in the future. And Isaiah says, you cannot in any way possible compare God to an idol. He's the creator who created creation. He's all there is. He is God and there's no other. No, there is no one like him. There is no comparison to him. There is no other. And so it says the one who sits above the circle of the earth, the creator, the sustainer of the world, he rules all rulers. Verse 23, he reduces rulers to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Look at verse 25 through 26. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of this? The answer, the creator created creation. The word of God is forever. It's truth that's revealed to us 
There is no other God except the eternal God. There is no other word except the eternal word of God. He continues in the verse, He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. When you put Psalm 19 with the revelation of God declared to us in the heavens and the revelation of God declared through his word that's perfect, and you put that with the first chapter of Genesis that God's the creator who created creation, and you put this with this beautiful chapter of Isaiah 40, you have the major revelation and teaching from God, the central portion of all scripture. Faith begins with knowing the creator who created us and why we're here. When through sin we go against God, we are being warned by God's word that we must return to him in order to find life and hope, success and prosperity. So in Isaiah 40, 28, he tells the sinful people who traded in their faith in the one true God for the false gods of the nation that are capturing the people of Israel. He says to them, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. See, there's no one else. The creator of the ends of the earth. Everything's been created by God. This God is strong and powerful. He doesn't grow weary or tired. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. When youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those, here it is, who hope in this Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. So an important, essential piece that fits all the puzzle of the Old Testament together is who God is, how we got here, and why we are here. The creator created creation. The scriptures we looked at today, and there's so many more on this subject, point us to put our faith in this God. God is the one we put our hope in to either deliver us or comfort us when things are going good and great and when things are going bad and going from bad to worse. And God will say all throughout the Old Testament, I want you to keep looking at these phrases. You might want to highlight them as you read through the Old Testament during this study. I am the one who made you. I am your creator. I am you, the God, the one true God. I'm the one who formed you. Do not fear, I have redeemed you. You call me by my name. Now this story of creation throughout the Old Testament is not just to be a proof passage that God is the creator as opposed to anyone or anything else. He is the sole source and cause of all creation. And the stories in the Old Testament certainly show this to be true. But looking to God as creator produces faith and hope, love and reassurance that there is salvation and justice, the eventual righting of wrongs in this planet, and the judgment of evil, and an eternal home with God forever. There's one final thought about God, the creator who creates creation. This God is unchanging. Cultures in the ancient Near East, when the Old Testament was written, saw the teachings about their gods change. They saw the names of their gods change. They saw some gods conquered by other gods in their stories and some gods gaining power and losing power, etc. 
They'd see some gods on a higher tier that were then put on a lower tier. They'd see new gods created and they made more and more idols towards them. Their idolatrous worship was confusing, depressing, and always changing. However, when God reveals himself, he makes it clear. I am the God who does not change. You know why he doesn't change? Because he doesn't need to change. He is inherently perfect. When people created their false idols and worship, their gods changed because we cannot fathom not having to change with the times or needs we face. So humans are constantly changing the rules about virtues and values and what is a sin and what's not a sin. We're ever changing because we can never get it right on our own. But God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God doesn't change because he doesn't need to. He is perfect and his word is perfect. That doesn't mean that God is boring. If something doesn't change, then it's oftentimes becomes too familiar to us and becomes boring to us. But I can say today, like the people of the Old Testament of yesterday, that the best way and the only way to live is to trust and obey and put your faith in the eternal God and his word. And tomorrow, I'll say the very same thing. And if the Lord delays his return for another thousand years, the same thing will be told to the cultures of that time as well. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, all around us, and it's going on right now in our culture today, in our time right now, our culture is changing. It is changing dramatically its views about sin and virtues and values. That doesn't make it right because someone will come along and change the rules again because it's a false idol. It's a false religion. But we need to remember, who are we to even do that? We're like the grass and the flowers. We're temporary. But the word of God, God himself endures forever. So the next time you get a chance on a clear night, lift up your heads to the heavens and look and see and hear and praise the creator who created creation. And as you read through the Old Testament in this study, begin each time with prayer, thanking God for revealing himself and his will to us in his perfect, timeless, comforting, delivering word.